Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Podcast. I'm your host, Daddy McDuke. I'm joined, as always, by John Crosby, Estills, Nash, and Young Sheeran. That's right. This man is a harmony unto himself. Beautiful voice, beautiful perspective on the Bengals. How you doing, John? Crosby still. Yeah, so you got to look them up. Nash. Yeah. Well, they had I, Neil I, I Young, Young for a while. That's when oh, they were really? at their peak, John. Yes, that is that is greater than just the. That's the biggest compliment I can pay you. Got the Canadian twist in there. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so how is everything, John? Are you excited about our guest? Oh, I'm very excited. You know, it's like the credibility of the show somehow hasn't, still hasn't tanked yet, where we can still get it's incredible amazing. guests. Yeah, right. It's amazing. It's, it's, they it's have you, no it's, idea it's, what they're in. And it's for. you, the one who's reaching out, which is even even crazier. The, the I don't think. Guests. Yeah, it's it's that's why I made my profile picture so small. No one can tell th- what I look like. They have no mm-hmm. idea what they're getting themselves into. But it's okay because, look, we, we appreciate this guest. I'm going to tell you he's the greatest guest that we've ever had on the show. And we've had, we've had a lot of Hall of Famers. We've had pro bowlers. We've had, we've had past presidents. Of, you know, we're just amazing guests. But this is the most impressive guest I've ever had on the show. This man is a Hall of Fame caliber athlete. He was a councilman during his playing career. He founded a sports for the Disney, and he is just an all-around very resilient and powerful and lovely human being. We're talking about Reggie Williams, and we're going to bring him on in a couple of minutes. But first, John, we have to talk about TV. And I'm sure you know that TV has a new podcast. It's called, hold on, MTG Devolution. And at first I thought that was like a, uh, I'm sorry, MVG devolution. At first I thought that was, uh, no, MTG, yeah, MTG. I thought that at first it was a a G-rated MTV, but then I found out it's about Marjorie Taylor Greene and how she says that she's living proof that evolution isn't real. And so that's a fascinating podcast about her and looking forward to listening to that. And also, look, if you're watching us on the Believe channel or anywhere else, know that you can go to DNH Sports TV on YouTube and subscribe, comment. Please go there right now if you're watching live or go to Bringstar TV and leave us comments and we'll put them up on the board. Courtney and Herbert will take care of that. Okay, John, without further ado, I think that we should bring on 
Mr. Reggie Williams. There he is. There he is. The legend. Glad to be on your show. Thank you. How how are you, sir? I'm doing real good. Uh, living here in Orlando, where my three sons reside, and my four grandchildren, with uh, one on the way any day now. Oh wow! Well, congratulations. Any day? Like, are you on like like heels and toes right now? Like, is it just like a countdown? Uh, my son is. I'm not quite yet. I've been through a few of these, but uh, I'm excited to see the family grow. Yes. Well, so are we. We hope to see future Reggie Williams uh, for the Bengals franchise, of course, and, and elsewhere, and for the world. Because you, sir, have had a very impressive trajectory as a, I don't even know what to say, professional, as a leader. And I, I don't, I, my first question is this. How does one manage to be a councilman, which you were your last two years as a football player? How does one even find the time to campaign or to, to even, how does that work? No, it really was a, a lot of time management. Uh, I had a great team. I was a charter candidate, which meant that I uh, had to go against both the Democrats and the Republicans in uh, what is uh, you know, primarily a Republican uh, municipality area. Uh, but you know, I had uh, great uh, support from the team. Um, both Sam Weish and Mike Brown both allowed me to uh, miss um, Wednesday, which is a very important day in preparation for uh, the week's opponent because that's when you install your defense. But that was also city council day. So you definitely wow. couldn't do that. I went to city council during the day off which was Tuesday. And on Mondays, I would work out in the morning and then go to city council in the afternoon. Um, but I think it really, you know, lifted and I mean, floated everyone's boat. Yeah. Everyone got better. You know, if someone's doing, you know, two jobs at the same time, you know, my teammates really were putting extra time into their one job. And so yeah. it was, it was that time of, uh, my career where all that was on my mind was getting back to the Super Bowl. Um, having played in Super Bowl 16, the very first one that the Bengals played in, and the fact that it was in Pontiac and it was so close to my hometown of Flint, Michigan, and one of the players on the San Francisco 49ers, their starting running back was Ricky Patton, and he was my teammate at Flint Southwestern High School and so that was the first time and still the only time that two high school teammates played against each other in a Super Bowl. Wow. But I knew that only one of us was going to go home with a Super Bowl ring. And so for the rest of my career, and by the time we got to playing on city council, I was definitely involved in the community and trying to do everything I could to make it a better place for children. I mean, but I definitely wanted to go back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about that. Well, I, I read somewhere that you said your fondest memory of the Super Bowl was that Diana Ross pushed you out of the way. <laughs> and you, said, you said that pleased you. I just want to know what happened with that. Where did that go, the relationship with Diana Ross? No, unfortunately, it didn't go anywhere. But, you know, the reason that it was so coincidentally positive 
is that I grew up in Flint, which is obviously uh, at that time the second largest uh, city in the state of Michigan. Uh, we were like the little brother to Detroit. Uh, Detroit is, you know, 60 miles away. The Motown sound was the sound of my childhood. And Dinah Ross and the Supremes and Marvin Gaye and uh, many other talented musicians uh, really were the part of my childhood, along with playing sports, along with study. So I'm definitely uh, pleased that, uh, you know, I, I knew she was real and this yeah. game was going to be real. And uh, we were hopeful that uh, we were going to create some magic that that day. And we almost did coming back in the second half. It was a great comeback. But unfortunately, uh, the uh, San Francisco 49er goal line stand was too much to overcome. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm just surprised that Miss Ross took the loss so seriously. I still feel like there was a lot there, but it's, you know, it's a loss. It's okay. It's a kind of a Romeo and Juliet kind of situation. But look, I want to talk about that Super Bowl. I think you said that was the greatest game you ever played. You led the team in tackles. You talked about how you guaranteed a victory and you did everything in your power to win that game. You almost willed the defense to victory. And, and then you said, well, because I made that guarantee, I think it was after Super Bowl 16, you guaranteed we'll be back and we'll win it. And then it didn't happen. And you left the city, which, which says a lot about your emotional connection with the fans and with the community. I just, I just thought that was a very powerful kind of sentiment. Well, I left the city and had to resign from uh, city council because I was offered the job to be the general manager of the New York, New Jersey Knights, which was the NFL's uh, desire to export the sport of football to Europe. And we had franchises in Frankfurt, in London, in Barcelona, in Montreal, and it did what it was supposed to do. I mean, now there's an annual game in uh, England. Uh, there's a game in Germany, I believe, this year. And there's even players that are coming from uh, some European uh, nations and making NFL rosters. But the game that you're referring to is Super Bowl 23. That's where I led the team in tackles. I right. had a sack on Joe Montana. I had, yes. you know, pressures on uh, Joe Montana. And that was your last game. correct. That you was know, your last game, right? That was my yeah. best game. It was the last Super Bowl. But the importance of getting back to that big stage was set in Cincinnati when we had to beat the San Diego Chargers in the coldest game ever played in the NFL, minus 59 degrees, wind chilled in the AFC Championship. And to have so many great fans supporting us in that abysmal cold, and screaming, we knew we couldn't lose. And that's why when after we came back on the bus from losing Super Bowl 16, we went down to Fountain Square, and that's where there were the fans gathered as far as you could see. And that's where I promised them, because these fans that were still freezing out in that cold. It was the coldest cold spell in North America. And yet they were dedicated fans. And there was no other fan base 
in my opinion, that deserves to feel the thrill of a Super Bowl championship. They felt the thrill of a World Series championship. Now they have to feel something that's, I believe, a little bit better. It sounds like Reggie wants all Super Bowls for the Bengals to be played in sub-freezing uh, temperatures from, from that side. Well, no. I just, I just wish that he had given them some hot cocoa or something instead of making the promise so we could have seen another five or ten years out of Mr. Williams because I feel like you had a lot left. But because of that promise, you know, you, you, had, to, you had to retire. But, but really, I mean, when I read about what you went through as a, as a player, 24 knee surgeries, I mean, my goodness. I think three knee replacements, four knee I mean, and, and it just seems like, I mean, if you didn't have the disposition that you do, the inner strength. I mean, we talk about John. I mean, Mr. Williams, he went to Dartmouth College, okay? And he earned the respect. He told, he, I, I heard him talking about how he overcame a speech, you know, uh, difficulties, and then he became a mentor for others for that. So every difficulty, every challenge he was faced with, he took it and he turned it into a strength, which is not something you see a lot these days. So. Really, I mean, it's just we are so we are so honored to have you as part of our franchise's history, and and then we look at the on the field play, and it just blows your mind. The franchise linebacking leader for all linebackers and sacks with a, 160 sacks and 230 fumble recoveries and 635. <laughs> Why are you? No, I'm sorry, no, 160 yeah. interceptions. Yeah, 160 interceptions. But, then, but, I, but I had a question about that, Reggie, yeah. because 23 fumble recoveries, I think there's only like 12 or 11 players all time with more on, on the defensive side of the ball. And I think seven of them or eight of them are in the Hall of Fame. Like, I don't feel like we talk about fumble recoveries enough because maybe there's a stigma that it's just kind of luck. But to be at the right place at the right time for 23 times, like, like there's definitely more than just just the caliber of luck. That's a, that's a no, I mean, it is being around the ball, but. The other side of that statistic is that I caused 24 fumbles. Yeah. So many of those fumbles that I recovered are fumbles that I caused. And um, that is one of the stats that I'm very proud of. Uh, I believe I'm number two in total tackles. I know I lead all linebackers in uh, total tackles. Um, uh, obviously, I lead all linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals in interceptions, in sacks. So uh, there was a certain consistency. And, uh, you know, I, I know how I played and for how long I played. Uh, Super Bowl uh, 16 season, um, I was the first linebacker to even get double digits in sacks. I had 11 sacks. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, who was the NFC Rookie of the Year, only had nine sacks. And it was one of those situations where no matter what I did, probably because of the Ivy League stigma for being a linebacker, I didn't make the Pro Bowl that year. And what that did was really focus me even more on how I wanted to make a difference in the community of Cincinnati that's ultimately what led to being on city council while I was still playing. Uh, one of the awards that was given to me was the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award for all the stuff that I was involved in in the community. I had also earned the Byron Wizard White a Humanitarian Award and a Sports Illustrated Co-Sportsman of the Year. So yeah. some of the things that I was doing to try to make a difference uh, in Cincinnati, a sort of standard procedure 
throughout the rest of the NFL. You know, anytime that you can really use that platform to make uh, life a little bit better for the citizens and especially the children in that community, that was one of the, the real priorities. And when I did leave, you know, I always sort of hoped I was coming back, you know, that maybe I was being trained uh, with all the skill sets by being general manager of the New York, New Jersey Knights to be a, a general manager of an NFL team. Um, but that actually led to me being hired by the NFL uh, to be um, director of community relations for Super Bowl 27, which was in Pasadena. And this was right after the Rodney King riots. And so that job led to me conceiving and building uh, NFL Youth Education Town, which is a multifaceted education and recreation facility in the most at-risk community in a city and giving all these kids all of the power tools for success. Uh, there were up to 20 plus NFL Youth Education Towns um, and uh, uh, it's one of the things I'm also very proud of, but that from doing that, that's how uh, Disney found out about what I was doing. They interviewed me and hired me because they had just bought the Mighty Ducks at that time. Um, Michael Eisner uh, was the person I talked to. His kids had gone to Dartmouth College, and that was one of their graduation gifts. And he came over to my table where I was dining with one of my Dartmouth classmates named Michael Montgomery, who was at that time the treasurer of the company. And he asked me that he told me that they had just bought the Mighty Ducks and they had all this land in Walt Disney World. And uh, we were thinking about getting in sports and what would you do? And that was a question that I answered and they eventually hired me. And that's what led to the development of ESPN Wide World of Sports. That's crazy. I mean, I tell you, I followed Disney <coughs> Sports for a long time. You talked about the Mighty Ducks. And I remember that uh, Bud, the dog who's uh, very athletic, he had a great vertical. And then it's an adjective, now we have the, name. yeah. And now yeah. we have the Roadster Racers. And it's the, the legacy of Disney athletes continues to this day. But, but what you did really, like you said, is bringing the youth, giving them a, a kind of forum to play other sports and to get together and, and show their competitive juices uh, really is something that you said, it's kind of changed how the sports are broadcast and how they are shared across the world. It's very inspirational. Mr. Williams, I want to talk about getting back to the Super Bowl because you talked about the Bengals franchise and how they deserve it more than anybody else. And look, a lot of people have said things about management over the years, but they've really taken a turn for the better. We would love to see you in the front office. And if you look at the front office, you look at the president, the vice president, the executive president, they all went to Dartmouth, your alma mater. So it seems like you do meet the criteria for being in the front office. I don't know what position you would take if offered, general manager maybe. I don't know what would interest you. But no, I, I, I'm, I'm very, very supportive of the Cincinnati Bengals uh, front office. Yes, uh, the 90s was a, um, a tough decade. Uh, it was the decade that uh, I was now retired from the team and I was moving to a new place, both in New York 
And then I was hired by Disney here in Orlando. And your reputation, when you're introduced as former Cincinnati Bengals, your reputation becomes the reputation of the team uh, when you're in foreign territory, so to speak. And so uh, I definitely would have loved for the Bengals to be uh, enjoying the kind of success that you thought during your career that you helped build the foundation for, that this will be a contending team every year. And, you know, throughout the 80s, I think uh, that was the one uh, decade where we beat the Steelers many more times than they beat us. I think that's the only decade, except for maybe this current decade that we're working on. So the foundation uh, that we built, uh, the team that, you know, went and played in a, a Super Bowl in uh, 1981, which was still only 13 years after the franchise was founded in 1968. That still is a historical um, um, accomplishment that Paul Brown, you know, should really be applauded for. He got, you know, the team into their first playoffs in 1975, I believe, after seven years. So the um, current front office has uh, really uh, stepped up to how the game is played this day, both in terms of drafting and signing players and the right combination of players. And uh, they put together a phenomenal offense and a great defense and should have been you know, a Super Bowl champion team if it wasn't for, you know, the final few seconds of uh, this last Super Bowl. I am I am curious, though, because, like, before Mike became, like, the owner after Paul passed away, he was the assistant general manager, I believe, in, in his early yes, days he was. there. Yeah, so when, when you were brought in, because you mentioned the stigma against Ivy League athletes at the time, did you guys bond over, like, the Dartmouth con- uh, connection? Is that, like, one of the reasons why, like, they brought you in in the third round? Yeah, I, I do actually I was told by the Dallas Cowboys they lied to me they they told me I was going to be drafted in the first round and uh, by the time I was still around in the third round I was personally kind of uh, desperate I had been drafted by the Toronto Argonauts in the first round and so uh, when the Bengals finally selected me I had never been to Cincinnati before uh, I'd never really watched them play even though they'd been around I was so excited that uh, they drafted me. And then on the my the first day I was in for rookie camp, I met Mike Brown. We took a picture together. I should have sent it to you beforehand. <laughs> but uh, from that point in time, I wanted to make Mike Brown proud of me. You know, uh, quite honestly, uh, I knew that uh, he expressed uh, years later that he knew more about me being at Dartmouth than any other general manager in the NFL. So uh, he uh, took me off the board before someone else could. Um, but uh, I, uh, I do um, also um, treasure and cherish uh, the opportunity to be one of the pallbearers for Paul Brown when he passed away. Uh, it was one of the things that uh, – uh, it was sort of unplanned. I showed up unannounced at the funeral, but Al Heim, who was the business manager at the time, came up to me as I was signing in and asked me if I would uh, 
do that. It was such a great honor. So I'm very supportive of the Brown fantasy fa family and all of the success they are bringing, all the love that they're bringing to the city of Cincinnati right now. Yo, Daddy, I don't think I don't think we can hear you. Yeah, I just want to ask one more question about this topic, which is when you look at he was too stunned to speak. You said you talked about how close they were. Sorry. Yeah, can you hear me now, John? Yeah, yeah, we got you, man. Yeah. So I was just going to say, when when you look at this roster, because you talked about how close they were to winning it all, is there anything missing? Is that what do you? To me, I look at it. And we, we added three offensive linemen to you know the interior of the offensive line, which was our biggest weakness. And we upgraded there. And I don't really see any flaws elsewhere on the roster. We added a few very athletic defensive backs. Uh, to me, I, it seems like a stacked roster with the right kind of disposition and leadership under Joe Burrow to, to pull it off again. I, I just, but as you, having seen so much football over the years, what do you see when you look at that roster? Well, we're going to see how good these uh, offensive linemen are for uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. I hope that uh, they all exceed their expectations. And if they do, then they will have uh, fixed, you know, the biggest flaw that uh, a championship team had that didn't win a championship. If uh, Joe Burrow had more time to look downfield, if uh, they had an opportunity to open, open up more holes for uh, their running backs, um, they certainly been even a more potent offense. The only thing that I, I see that they need uh, uh, on top of the offensive linemen that they've already drafted is they need someone who is a sack threat, someone who the other team – have to almost change their offensive game plan to account for. That can be a defensive lineman, a defensive end. It could be a, an outside linebacker. Uh, it could be someone else, but they need someone that causes nightmares to their offensive coordinator of every team that they play against. Do you think Joseph Asai has that potential? I don't know if you've been following him, but... He's very I have been following him, and he has that potential, but you know... Um, it, it's about the, uh, you know, the, the, the defensive coordinator calling it. Uh, my defensive coordinator was uh, Hank Buller. And um, um, I wish he would have called for me to blitz uh, a lot more uh, because uh, I really did have a move that worked against most running backs and if he would have, he only asked me one time, what play would I call? And I told him uh, my favorite blitz, and he called it, and I blitzed, and uh, I was successful. And he never called it again. Uh, if he would have called 20 blitzes, I would have had 20 more sacks in any given season. So, you know, it's about how they're playing now and how they um, prepare. Uh, their defensive strategy. I mean, one of the things that we did have was uh, working under Hank Bulla was Dick LeBeau. And that's really where the zone blitz uh, defense started with the Dick LeBeau and Hank Bulla and our defense of the 80s. David Fulcher. Yeah. 
He was he was on David Fulcher yeah. came along in the latter part of the uh, 80s, and he was one of the most supremely talented and big uh, strong safeties uh, that I ever played with. Uh, Bobby Kemp was our Super Bowl 16 uh, strong safety. Uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, but uh, I would definitely uh, say that um, David Fulcher was definitely an upgrade from Bobby Kemp. Yeah, well, speaking of Bengals players past and current, if you will, I want to talk about the linebackers because I read how much you have appreciation for Jermaine Pratt. And when we drafted Jermaine Pratt, I was excited because for years and years, we didn't have that athletic linebacker who could cover tight ends. And I didn't know much about him, but I knew about his athleticism and how he moved, and I had hope. And he has developed exactly how we hoped he would. And then you add a kind of guy in Logan Wilson, who's everywhere. He's all over the field. And then we have Akeem Davis Gators, who hasn't even really, you know, I wouldn't say he, he hasn't hit his stride yet, but he has tremendous potential. And you've talked about how these linebackers, they study the game, they know the X's and the O's, and they are smart players, and you, you really like their approach to the game. So I wanted to hear what you see in them and, and the kind of, and their ability. Let's say you talked about the lack of pass rushers, you know, and maybe we don't have elites you know, defensive backs at, at every position, let's say the second cornerback, how can those linebackers solidify that defense? You know, I think this is like the perfect time for you to put on that clip. I mean, this is what yeah. you want. You want the best yeah. players that you're playing against to say this about you. And, and you know, that's, yeah. this is a kit uh, from Earl Campbell, okay, who yeah. was one of the best Hall of Fame bludgeoning running backs that I played against. And uh, this is the kind of compliment th that shows a, uh, a, a career of consistency. You know, this just wasn't one game that uh, he was given an opinion. Uh, he just gave an uh, unsolicited opinion uh, totally out of the blue. So if you have that clip, uh, why don't you run that, please? Yes, please. <laughs> Courtney, yeah. You need the sound on this. Yeah, we can. This so happened during the Oilers, and you, you powered through him on this play. There was an accident. This so happened during the week he had been talking about this rookie, Earl Campbell. Greatest defense of all time, if you were categorizing, would you put the steel curtain up there? Yes, Joe Green and uh, L.C. Greenwood. And I think because of those two guys, Jack Lambert and Jack Hamm could do anything they want to. The toughest guy I've ever he got hit by. For some reason or other, I've never had a chance to talk to this guy. But him and I was on the same All-American teams in uh, college. We went on the same trips. But for some reason, Reggie Williams, who played for Cincinnati, right. the politician we know, the nice guy now, would do everything in his power to, no matter where Earl went on Sunday on that football, Reggie, football field, Reggie was there. So I would tell Tim Wilson, my fullback, no matter what you do, block Reggie, I'll take care of the rest of them. And I tell you, Yeah, well, I mean, that is, that is the greatest honor to hear from a, a legend like that. But Earl Campbell is, was one of the toughest runners, and he said you were the toughest defender. But I just have one question. Why didn't you ever pick up the phone and talk to him? He said he, he never had a chance to talk to you. <laughs> he, he was scared of him, obviously. Like, I see. Do you see the respect? I see. 
100%. You know, actually, yeah. he is such a great guy. We did uh, first meet at the um, – actually in Miami uh, because that's where they've had the first uh, Kodak All-American uh, reception. It was in Miami. And, uh, and so uh, he was a, a junior at that time. So he was kind of shy. I was a senior. And uh, also on, um, on that team was Tony Dorsett. Uh, so it really was a great, uh, um, uh, it really was a great uh, championship team uh, for college football, great All-American team for college football. Leroy yeah. Salmon was on that team. Archie Griffin was on that team. Uh, there were a number of great players. So going back to the, the question about the current linebackers, what what do you see in them in terms of that toughness and the ability to, let's say, stop a, a runner, a ball carrier in his tracks? They're both great tacklers. Uh, both are, are linebackers. They're, they're smart players. Uh, they, they think well. They anticipate well. Um, you know, uh, injuries are part of the game. Logan, you know, seeing the play well coming off of uh, his shoulder injury. Uh, Jermaine Pratt played uh, consistently, you know. And so I, I, am, I am continuing to uh, look forward to them playing and getting better. Um, and adding that ability to put pressure on the quarterback is, is something that will benefit the whole defense and uh, benefit either one of their uh, careers. Both of them do well, but there's, you know, to really put, you know, you know the, the, the fear of uh, a, uh, a blitz package uh, whatever that blitz package is, or in your standard defense to have a defensive lineman that time and time again is breathing down the quarterback's neck, that is definitely something that championship teams have at their disposal. Yeah, and absolutely. the Los Angeles Rams had it. I mean, there was no doubt that that was one of the big parts of their game. Yeah, what Aaron Donald just said, he might have played his last game, or that's the report coming out. I just wish he retired one game earlier. Just one game <laughs> earlier, we would have had that championship because really he was the defensive MVP. I mean, he was the MVP of the Super Bowl. I mean, that man, when he turned it on in the fourth quarter, that's when they came back. But look, I want to talk to you, Mr. Williams. The reason we invited you on is the Ring of Honor is coming up and only two people will be selected. And uh, I feel like you have a very a strong case. And there's so many great candidates, really. One of the questions we had earlier is, who do you think among your among the former Bengals belongs in the Hall of Fame? And that's well, well, yeah, yeah. Well, Ken Riley definitely yeah. deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. His 65 interceptions are much more than several cornerbacks uh, that are already in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Ken Anderson was uh, you know one of the premier quarterbacks of the early 80s. Uh, his uh, completion percentage is uh, one of the best all time. I, I'm, I'm not sure if he still holds uh, the record for most uh, completions in a row, but Ken Anderson definitely deserves it. Uh, I think Isaac Curtis was a breakthrough wide receiver. He was that kind of wide receiver that extended the uh, end zone, that uh, 
really challenged uh, whatever defense you had because he was going to run right by you. He had that kind of world-class uh, speed. So definitely, you know, those three individuals need to join Anthony Munoz, you know, in the Hall of Fame. Um, so I, I look forward to um, whatever process the inner, the Hall of Fame is, is uh, coming up with because it seems like they're going to come up with a process to admit uh, even more uh, players who uh, have uh, been overlooked in the past. And if that happens, then I definitely expect to see Kenny Anderson, Ken Riley, and Isaac Curtis to be uh, the top candidates for the Cincinnati Bengals to get uh, the next inclusions into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I and how missed about on Reggie Williams, too. Yeah. I don't know if you want to mention him or not. <laughs> well, I, I think I've made you know a unique difference, both from a humanitarian standpoint, primarily, uh, you know, being a city councilman, you know, my, my play speaks for itself, you know, a la Earl Campbell, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a proud uh, Cincinnati Bengal player. They're, every player that's being nominated to the Ring of Honor is deserving. Um, I wish more players could be inducted every year. But, you know, I appreciate being considered for do- nomination. Uh, w- one year it will happen. You know, I just, hope that I just hope that I'll be alive for it when it does happen and and I appreciate all of the support and all the votes for all of the fans, both in this show and throughout uh, Bengal Nation. But you definitely know how to run a campaign, sir. I mean, you are the only active player to also be an elected official, which is still, we talked about it earlier, but it's astonishing to me because we have actually an HR representative. She's, she's from Flint, Michigan. She couldn't be on the show. She's, she's sick, but she really wanted to talk to you. But I asked her about this a while ago. I just wanted to be the treasurer of the local library. And she said, no, there's actually a law against people who have their own YouTube show also being treasurer. I don't know if that's true or if she's just <laughs> worried that I will embezzle the funds of the library as well. But, but it is, it's very difficult work. And the fact that you were able to run that campaign, uh, as you said, your contribution to the community, it really elevates your playing career. And also your, your, the inspiration you were to so many people in Cincinnati, the way you came to league, coming from an Ivy League school, facing a lot of you know doubters more than the average you know number and uh, we we really hope to see you in the ring of honor who, who are your who are your selections obviously other than yourself who would you think most deserves to get into the ring of honor because ken riley obviously is in there ken anderson's in there so who who do you think should make the ring of honor i i expect boomer sison uh, to get in there i uh voted also for uh isaac curtis so okay you know I, I think they're they're great. You know, I, I will say this about my time on city council, um, and it's only because of the you know the local news about the the horrible event in Uvalde. You know, uh, one of the things I fought for when I was on city council, even way back then, because I was so focused in on what was best for kids, was really trying to uh, put a ban in the city of Cincinnati for. Um, automatic uh, assault weapons. And um, I came very close to passing. Um, I was able, the the best thing I did on city council actually had to do with forcing our pension board to divest itself from all of the 
funds doing business in South Africa. I got a call from Archbishop Desmond Tutu saying that he wanted to come to Cincinnati to talk to us. And he talked to me and basically said that that was the straw that broke the camel's back, that Nelson Mandela would be getting out of Robben Island prison and that the Republic of South Africa was about to have the very first democratic uh, election. And at that time, when he told me that, it was almost worth losing two Super Bowls for. You know, you felt like you did make a difference on the world stage. And so uh, that's the one thing that I really uh, do encourage all of the current members of the Cincinnati Bengals roster and organization is uh, there's an opportunity to make a difference even beyond the football field. And that's one of the unique platforms of such a successful game that the NFL has become. You know, when I grew up, Major League Baseball was the number one sport. When I was uh, drafted into Cincinnati, you know, baseball was the number one sport. Cincinnati Reds were one of the most popular teams in the country. And so it, it really happened during our career. You know, I, I probably most people point to a Super Bowl 16 at that point where uh, the scales were turned to the point where the highest Nielsen rating was for the Super Bowl occurred that year for the first time. And uh, uh, that was the game that we battled uh, San Francisco. So uh, there is a, a whole fantastic, exciting world off the football field. And all be better if every player knows that if they win a Super Bowl, it's going to even be better. So that's yeah. my encouragement to the roster, to the organization, is bring us all home a Super Bowl ring. Thank you. Well, that was beautiful. And we just wanted to talk about now, we want to talk about a couple of important causes. And uh, we, I know that a lot of players, former players, they, uh, they didn't necessarily know what they were signing up for in terms of the after effects of playing football. And so they suffered from some head trauma or CTE or things of that nature. And so there's a, a number of players have come together to, to file the grievances, if you would, against the NFL. And, and that includes a number of Bengals, a number of Bengals running backs, James Brooks, Rudy Johnson, and Icky Woods among them. So I, I just want to know, what, what do you think needs to be done for these players so they can get the help that they need? Well, uh, Dr. Umalo, who was portrayed by Will Smith in the movie Concussion, I had a chance to speak to him after he gave a speech out in San Francisco. And he told me, uh, he, he basically told me I have CTE uh, because of the number of concussions I already had, uh, which were three uh, during my 14 years in the Cincinnati Bengals, and the number of uh years I played at linebacker, which is a, you know, it's a head-beating uh, sport. Um, so I think that there still needs to be as much research that the NFL can do to really sort of validate uh, the impacts of trauma. One of the pioneers uh, in the sport is, uh, is Buddy Tevens. Buddy Tevens is the head coach at Dartmouth. And he doesn't have any contact with his players at all during any practice. 
They have uh, these uh, computerized robotic tackling dummies that they utilize that, that can run and change uh, directions. And the players hit uh, these tackling dummies and don't hit each other. And so I think that there are a lot of college teams and now there are a number of NFL teams that have got these uh, robotic uh, uh, dummies called MVP. And uh, the less concussive opportunities that players have, the better. On another point, you know, there's been some recent uh, studies that have shown that cannabis could be beneficial to post-concussive symptoms, uh, that it has been shown to have the ability to to repair repair parts of the the brain. And so uh, that should be studied expeditiously, especially since the NFL has had a history of penalizing players who use cannabis. So, you know, the, the research will really provide a lot of direction. Uh, I think the the goal to protect the quarterbacks and wide receivers, you know, and other players on the football field uh, has been beneficial. But the game still is very exciting. Even with all of those changes on any given day, when you watch an NFL football game, you will see something somewhere that you've never seen before. And that's what makes the game so exciting and so competitive and why it is number one sport in America and becoming the number one sport in the world. Well, speaking of number one, Mr. Williams, this, as you know, is the number one Bengals podcast. It's not the top <laughs> rated or anything, but that's just the name of the show. And uh, we obviously we want people to support you and your endeavors and your your kind of your your advocacy for a number of important causes and also your book, your very important, uh, excellent book. It is called Resilient by Nature. There you go. There it is. And uh, I know that they can get the signed copy. Bengals fans get the signed copy from you if they just reach out to you. Right? Yes, they can. I'd be happy to uh, sign any book that anyone can uh, get to me. Obviously, you and I met met on uh, Facebook Messenger. That's right. So that's probably the best way to to contact me, even if we aren't friends. they will. Uh, we are let now, you through, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, we are friends. Yeah, you now. told me before the show. You said we're friends now. Yeah, I've lied. I've, I've used that lie too, Reggie. Don't yeah. worry about it. Well, speaking of, well, I'm glad John chimed in. You talked about trauma. John complains a lot about the trauma that the show causes him, but we haven't been able to replace him with a robot yet uh, because the analytics that he provides, or actually the research he does, is so so advanced that they can't be done by a robot just yet. But we are looking into that. But Mr. Williams, obviously we want people to support you and we want them to support the Bengals. And the best way to support the Bengals is to support this show. People can go to patreon.com slash dhsports where they can fund the show. Look, we have a fact checker for the show and we're trying to get her on the show regularly. We can't afford it right now. If we can get up a few more patrons, we should be able to do that. And also you can go to winno.app slash dhsports where you can get a direct line to me and John and to Hoji who couldn't be here. Yeah, there you go. And you can get text from us, you can get updates, and you can respond, you can reply, and we will see your replies, and we will chat with you. But that is basically all that we have. I know Mr. Williams has to go. We, we've held him a little longer than we promised we would. 
but it was just such a delight, Mr. Williams, to have you on the show. It, it was my pleasure, and uh, really, uh, who day to all the Cincinnati Bengals fans. Who day came to be during my career, during the the, the you know eighty one season when it was for real. So who day, who day, who they think gonna beat them Bengals? Where they play in the jungle, afraid of nobody. Thanks for having me on the show, and I look forward to joining you again. Thank you, sir. Definitely, Thank you, Reggie. All right, John. Well. That was that was exhilarating. That was fascinating. I learned so much about myself and about the world, and uh, about education, about children, everything. And uh, really, any I mean, any any kind of impressions from you? I mean, I hope that you expected to learn a lot because he's one of the yeah. smartest people that we've ever. He's definitely the smartest person who's ever been on this show. He's one not of the including the, not including the, the other hosts. But yeah, is that what? Are you including me? And, and Hoji and well, I suppose yeah. We Hoji, use, Hoji's a doctor, yeah. We we can do relative to this current panel, but yeah. I mean, ph phenomenal person, man. And I think if there was more people who are elected officials with that mindset, we probably actually would see some change. Absolutely, he's a very bold man. With very, he's he's, he's courageous. He's I mean, and it really, I think the resilient by nature title is perfect. He really is. I mean, he really. You read his history and what he went through. And how he came through, he came out on top and everything. And I mean, now uh, we didn't talk about it on the show, but he's his own physical therapist. He is avoiding that leg of his that's been operated on 24 times. He's avoiding that being amputated on his own. By, yeah, by, I mean, like, if you think flexible, or, yeah. If you're dealing with that many things, like, I'm pretty sure you, you'd become an expert on it. And yeah, I don't think you need to consult anyone else when you've got that much experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John. I don't know if you have any final thoughts, but I, I just music, want, man. yeah, I just want people to go subscribe, like, turn on notifications, and uh, read John's articles on CincyJungle.com. Follow him on Twitter as well, John underscore underscore Sheeran. And yeah, we will see you next week, hopefully, with Dr. Hoji Dr. Gisboji and Bridget back in the room. For now, I'm Daddy Maktouk for John Sheeran. So long, sweetie. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.